Hi, this is Jessica McCoy with Calvary Christian Center. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to be everything God has created you to be. We hope you enjoyed this message. everybody. The good news is the bad news was wrong. Jesus is alive. He got up. Satan didn't conquer and sin didn't win. Hallelujah. If you will stand for the reading of God's word, that's my custom. If you're visiting with us today, I want to tell you that the grave says to me, that empty grave says to me that anything is possible. I want to tell you right up front at the inception of this message, that you have come into an anything is possible church. How many of you believe that with God, anything is possible? We're going to take our point passage today from John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, if you'd like to go there, or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to tell you, if you're a preacher, you can't preach today. Maybe you ought to work at McDonald's. Come on. Because... This is, the, this, is the, this is the World Series, honey. This is the World Championship. This is the Super Bowl. This is the apex of our faith. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. John 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She was weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had, past tense, laid, then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. You know, sometimes Jesus can be right with you and you not even know it. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus spoke to her, and he called her by her name. And there was something about the way he said her name that made her know who she was. The Bible says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabbi, now, which is to say, teacher revelations 118 here it is y'all jesus says i am he who lives and was dead and behold i am alive forevermore if you believe that give the lord a shout 
I want to talk to you about the greatest comeback ever, the greatest comeback ever. Father, release anointing revelation in your word, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. One more time, clap your hands and thank the Lord today for his resurrection. You can be seated. I love a great comeback story, don't you? Most people love to hear the story of a comeback, most normal people at least, come on. There's something about a story of being counted out and given up on and against all odds coming back. That kind of story nourishes the human soul. It gives us something we so desperately need in this world today. It gives us hope. One of the things that I've discovered as I'm traveling the planet preaching the gospel message is this. As never before, people are hope hungry. Our world is looking for hope. Many are struggling today and they're having issues in their lives and, and their lives have turned more into existing than living because they've lost their hope. And there's something about a great comeback story that awakens hope. This past weekend, golf enthusiasts and folks in general Witness golf's greatest comeback, Tiger Woods. Come on, somebody. Blazing the victory. Did you see it? Claiming that elusive green jacket in the Masters Cup uh, tournament. And everybody knows about his struggles and his setbacks. It was only two years ago that he needed a nerve block just to be able to hobble upstairs to the champion's dinner. He had his fourth back surgery, and it looked as if all was lost as far as golf was concerned. His life, his relationship with his children, his family, his back, and golf all seemed to be in shambles over the last years. But all that changed this last weekend. If you saw it, everything seemed to be pieced back together. And you know what I say, bravo. I say good for him. I'm proud and happy for Tiger Woods. How many of you can say good job, Tiger? Man, he overcome his past. And his world was put back together. You know, in 2001, Sports Illustrated wrote an article on the greatest comebacks ever. And it's amazing to me that Sports Illustrated, a secular magazine, writes an article like this, and it will become more clear as I relate to you the comebacks that are mentioned. The first one was the comeback of Elvis in 1968 with his TV special. Now, some of y'all don't even know who Elvis is. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. But all of y'all in here are not 11 years old. Some of y'all know who Elvis is. Come on now. Many thought his career was dead, but after that special, his popularity surged to another level. Sports Illustrated related Muhammad Ali and had him on the list because he regained the world championship after he returned from a seven-year forced retirement. Y'all remember Muhammad Ali, I'm going to float like a butterfly. Sting like a bee. Come on, somebody. The Thriller in Manila. Again, all of y'all aren't 11 years old. 
That's back when, uh, that's back when boxing was free. That's when Howard Cosell, come on y'all, was hosting boxing on ABC. <laughs> that's when boxing was good, when you could actually watch it for free. Michael Jordan made the list. Coming back in the 90s, after he returned to play basketball, after he had retired and started playing baseball, and when he returned, he went on to win three NBA championships. Japan and Germany made the list after being completely devastated in World War II, and within a generation, they became economic powers. But surprisingly, in 2001, Sports Illustrated wrote something that would be stunning and unheard of for a secular publication today, just 18 years later. They said in AD 33, Jesus was the number one comeback ever. They said it. Jesus. They said Jesus Christ is ranked number one because he confounded his critics and stuns Roman authorities when he comes back from the dead after three days in the tomb, never to die again. <laughs> that, my friend, in anybody's book is the greatest comeback ever. See, the initial miracle was that Jesus rose from the dead, but the ongoing miracle is that he has never died again and he is still alive. Come on, we've seen people resuscitated. We've seen people brought back. We have CPR and we shock people back to life. Even Lazarus was called from the grave. Even, even the little girl, Jesus said, Talitha Kuma, and he raised her from the dead. But all these tasted death again, but not Jesus. Baby, when he walked out of that tomb, he walked out with victory and he lives today. That's the greatest comeback ever. Goes without saying, y'all, that Jesus was the most important person that ever lived. Maybe somebody on your row thinks they are. Look down your row and see if you can figure out who it is. You know what's funny is you think it's them and they just know it's you. Come on, somebody. But the truth is, Jesus was and is the most important person who ever lived. His death, burial, and resurrection changed the course of human history. Maybe you're here today visiting in this service and you say, great, great, great story, Pastor. But where's the proof? This carpenter, itinerant preacher, what's so great about him? Did he even really exist? I'm not sure that I even believe that he ever existed. There are accusations from skeptics that try to debunk his life. They try to say that his death never happened and certainly his resurrection didn't occur. Some have said that the soldiers fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body of the Lord away. And that's what many pure Jewish people have been taught to believe. But in Matthew 28, the chief priests and elders are recorded to have bribed the soldiers to say that they fell asleep. The truth is, y'all, these are 16 soldiers. These are 16 battle-hardened soldiers, and you couldn't even roll the stone away by yourself. The stone was very heavy. So you're going to tell me that 16 soldiers slept through somebody coming up to the tomb, grunting, uh, and groaning, 
and trying to roll the stone away. If that is the truth, then we're some sorry soldiers. That's all I'm going to tell you. But the truth is, those soldiers knew that Jesus was alive. See, folks, if you remember the entirety of the story, it was Mary, a woman, who first saw Jesus alive. And it was all backed by her testimony. Now, this isn't right, but it is reality. Here's the truth. The testimony of a woman was not even admissible in court in the first century. So if the disciples were fabricating a story, if they would have been lying, they would have come up with a better lie than that and never hinged it on the testimony of a woman. See, I believe with all my heart that Jesus was and is the genuine article. You say, Pastor, why? Because of evidence. The evidence is irrefutable. I wouldn't give you two cents for a Christianity or a religion based on old wives' tales or superstition or tradition alone. I believe there ought to be evidence. Come on, somebody. I want to talk to you intellectually for just a minute. I believe that there should be evidence. This is more than Santa Claus. This is more than the Easter money. This is not tooth fairy theology. This thing is real. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And the evidence is irrefutable. You say, well, pastor, prove it. Watch this. The geographical, historical, and archaeological evidence proves that Jesus is real. And this evidence today demands a verdict for every skeptic, every agnostic, every atheist. It demands a verdict. The man who owned the tomb that Jesus was laid in, Joseph of Arimathea, is documented as living during the time of Christ. The tomb of Jesus was honed out of a rock in the hillside of Jerusalem, not some mythological place like Mount Olympus. The Sanhedrin was an actual body that met frequently in Jerusalem. The historical players in the life of Christ are documented. Herod, documented. I've been to Israel many times. I'll be back there in November. I've seen the massive building programs that he undertook that are still standing today. Pilate documented. I was in Caesarea, been there many times. They're along the coast where, where Pilate actually lived along the coast. And, and I saw a stone bearing the inscription of his name right here in Caesarea. Joseph documented. The Sanhedrin documented, Annas documented, Caiaphas documented. I've been in his traditional home. I've been where he lived. I saw where he and his contemporaries would have lived. I've been right there. I was just in Caesarea. I was just in Bethlehem. I was just in Jerusalem. I'll be there again. I was in Jericho a while back. I've been right there at the Mediterranean Sea. These places and times and teachings of Christ are all documented. We find out and we are told about the resurrection. We read it in a book written by a medical doctor named Dr. Luke. Luke was a highly trained, skilled, and accredited physician from Macedonia. It was Dr. Luke, y'all. Dr. Luke, the physician, who wrote that Jesus showed himself on many occasions alive. It looks like to me if anybody would know whether somebody is dead or alive, it would certainly be a medical doctor. Oh, it's quiet in here. Luke's 
account is an eyewitness account. The gospels are not heresy. Luke is not telling you what he has heard. Luke is not sharing a story second-handed, but the gospels are absolutely eyewitness accounts. Matthew saw him. Mark saw him. Luke saw him. John saw him. They walked with him. They handled him. They were with him after he rose from the dead. Baby, it tells you that Jesus is alive. For the canonization of the Bible, you couldn't even be included in the New Testament unless you had seen Jesus with your eyes in the flesh. Again and again, he appeared before people following his resurrection. In fact, historical record bears out that over 500 saw him when he ascended into heaven. The Bible says it like this in Acts 1, 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Infallible proofs is defined as this indisputable evidence. That from which something is surely and plainly known. Historical evidence, geographical evidence, archaeological proof demands a verdict. This thing is real. I say we gather here today and we celebrate something that's real. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a wives tale. This is not a legend. This is not a good story. This is absolute fact. Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive right now today. Somebody give him praise if you believe it. But you know what, that's not all. I said, that's not all. Look at the transformation of the followers of Christ. This in and of itself should shake the foundations of the skeptic and the doubter. Before the resurrection, look at the disciples. They were cowards, y'all. They weren't even with him when he died and was crucified, only John. They were cowards, but after the resurrection, they were courageous. They went from fear-filled to faith-filled. They went from a questioning mind to a conquering mind. They went from seeking direction to giving direction. They went from shaking in their boots to shaking the world with the power of the gospel. Let me tell you something. It was as if the disciples and the followers of Christ realized this reality. If he rose from the dead, then there's nothing that's impossible with the Lord. If he rose from the dead, then there's nothing he cannot do. I've come to let somebody know the empty tomb is proof. With God, nothing is impossible. There's nobody he can't save. There's nobody he can't deliver. There's not one addict that he can't set free. There's not one sickness that he can't heal. There's not one problem that he can't solve. Some of you are here today and you'd say, Pastor, what, what do you mean? How do you know that these men believed he was alive? Because hear me, they would have been foolish to die for a lie. These men were martyred. Who would die for a lie? Just look at the disciples. Peter was crucified. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was filleted alive. John was boiled in oil and drugged through the streets of Alexandria by horses. James was crucified, Philip was crucified, 
Simon was crucified. Thaddeus was killed by Arras. James, the brother of Jesus, the brother of Jesus, who didn't even believe he was the Messiah until after Jesus rose from the dead. You know your family is. <laughs> Where the real folk at? I say your family is, can be your greatest haters. Can I get a witness in the house? Folk with your last name that ought to be for you sometimes are the very ones that are against you. But that's a whole nother message. I'll leave that alone. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned. Thomas was speared to death. Bartholomew was crucified. James, the son of Zebedee, was filleted alive. Peter had already proven his willingness to deny Jesus. But what changed their mind, y'all? What changed their disposition? Here it is. They knew that Jesus was alive. These men preached anywhere and everywhere. They were bold as lions. They were unstoppable because they saw Jesus alive. They believe that he was alive. I'm asking, is there anybody here today that believes that Jesus is alive? Hallelujah. 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 So we see the transformation of those who were on planet Earth who saw him alive, but it doesn't stop there. I want you to look around today. The transformation of the multitudes, including many listening today, provide irrefutable evidence. If people are struggling, believing whether or not Jesus is alive, they ought to just look at you. Huh. You are living proof. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm living proof. Is there anybody here today that's living proof? Um, I said, is there anybody here today that I'm looking for living proof? Yeah, yeah. Push your name and say, I'm living proof. Yeah, yeah, ask the former drug addict. Come on, if you were here in this room and you used to be addicted to alcohol or drugs, jump on your feet right now. Come on, come on, come on. Look, 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 look. Look, 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 look. Look, look, look. Oh, that, that ought to bring something up inside of you. I was addicted, but Jesus broke that addiction. If, if, if you were here and you dealt with cancer, you had a diagnosis of cancer, but you came through it and you healed and hold it, they jump on your feet right now. Jump on your feet right now. Has anybody been liberated? Has anybody been freed? Has anybody been delivered? You are living proof. Your life is a testimony. It declares that Jesus is alive. People are in this room today. They're healed. They're whole. <laughs> They're restored. They're put back together because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. You know why we know he's real? Because we've experienced him. The evidence tells us that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is a reality. What you see in the story of Jesus, listen to me. What you see in the story of Jesus is the greatest comeback ever. Number one, 
Jesus went to the cross and back. Here is a picture that I found of a hill from the time of Jesus with a Roman spike, an iron spike embedded into it. It validates the fact that in the time of Christ, this is how the Romans dealt with folks that they wanted to punish. Jesus committed no crime. He did no wrong. Yet he endured the most brutal death known to man. All he wore as he hung on that cross, y'all, was the rubbery mucus from the throats of the people who hated him. He hung naked before his own mother. Can you imagine that type and that kind of shame and humiliation? Can you imagine all the hours that he hung there naked? The physical pain of Calvary was beyond words. And the shame was magnified even beyond that. The Bible says concerning the cross, he despised the shame. But I've come to tell somebody, listen to me. On that cross, Jesus bore your shame and mine. On that cross, he bore your sin and mine. And the devil wants to make you think because you failed, you, can be, you should be swallowed up in shame. The devil makes, wants to make you think that because you failed, you shouldn't dare believe that you can get over it, that the shame needs to be a part of your life forever. The truth is all of us on one level or another has done things in our lives that we regret. All of us have dealt with shame, but I wanna tell you on that cross, Jesus bore your shame. He bore my shame. I break the shame of addiction off of you. I break the shame of abortion off of you. I break the shame of your past off of you because in the mighty name of Jesus, there is nothing you have done that the blood of Jesus can't deliver you from. Some of you are here today and say, Pastor, I wanted to worship. I wanted to worship, but my shame kept my hands by my side. I wanted to praise him, but my shame kept my hands by my side. But God, I got a news flash for you, baby. You never worship God because you're worthy. You never praise him because you're worthy. You worship him because he's worthy. You praise him because he's worthy. He'll break the shame off of your life. Isaiah saw a prophetic preview of Jesus and he said he would be despised and rejected of men. I'll talk a little more about this later, but reject means this. It means he was made an outcast. He was made to be an outsider. And I wanna tell everybody in this room who's ever felt like an outsider, who's ever felt like a reject, I want to tell you today that Jesus was rejected so you could be accepted. He became an outsider so you could become an insider. Hallelujah. Somebody give him praise if you believe it. I said give him praise if you believe it. Mm. 
Jesus died on the cross, y'all. He despised the shame, but he made it back. He went to the cross and back. He made it back from the pain. He made it back from the shame. He made it back from the humiliation. And the devil wants to make people think you'll never make it back. He wants to make you think you are stuck where you are and you will carry what you carry the rest of your life. But let me tell you something today. Through the power of Jesus, you can make it back from the pain and the shame of any setback in your life. Oh, hallelujah, today is somebody's comeback. Today is somebody's comeback. If Jesus can make it from the cross and back, so can you. Number one, Jesus went to the cross and back, but number two, Jesus went to hell and back. The truth is there was no access to heaven for humanity. We were separated from God prior to the cross, prior to the propitiation, come on, prior to Jesus shedding his blood and making a way, he became the sacrifice that opened up heaven for us. Before the work of the cross, man could not come into God's presence because of sin. And people who died in the Lord, people like Abraham and Sarah and Daniel and David, those that died in the Lord, they could not go to heaven because there was the unresolved issue of sin. And they needed a redeemer. <sighs> they needed somebody to deal with the issue of sin. They were separated from the Lord and they could not get there. And they went, Jesus documents it himself into a compartment of Sheol. Sheol was where the lake of fire is. It's where hell is. But there was also a place called paradise. And the Bible said that he led captivity captive. What does that mean? Hang with me. Jesus went down into paradise. Now look, he validates this in Luke when he talks about the, the, the man Lazarus being in paradise. Lazarus was there. He, he talks about paradise and paradise is where these righteous dead would have went. It wasn't a place of turmoil, but it was still a place of separation. They were still separated from God. So Jesus, the Bible said he descended into hell and when he got down into hell he went into paradise and he preached revival i wish i could find somebody that would help me with an amen in the room i said he preached revival he preached revival and gave an altar call and David came forward and Abraham came forward and Moses came forward and Elijah Elijah came forward, hear me in this room, and Daniel came forward, and Adam came forward, and Eve came forward. Y'all better help me preach. He gave an altar call, and then the Bible said he led captivity captive. In other words, he came rolling out of hell, and he took all of them with him. I want to say something to you. Jesus went to hell and back and overcame the power of the devil. And he, when he went to hell and back, he didn't come back by himself. I said he didn't come back alone, but he brought somebody with him. Tell your neighbor, say if you come back from hell, don't come back by yourself. Bring somebody with you. I said, bring somebody with you. 
If you make it out of addiction, bring somebody with you. If you make it out of depression, bring somebody with you. If you make it out of suicide, bring somebody with you. If you make it out of the betrayal, bring somebody with you. Somebody give the Lord a roar in here right now. Tell your neighbor, say, don't come back by yourself. Don't come back by yourself. Some of you been to hell and back. Some of you in your life, you've been to hell and back. Some of you in your life, you look good today. You look all Easter fixed up. But the truth is, you've been to hell and back. And if you can make it back, anybody can. So you got to let your life testify. I said you got to let your life testify. Sometimes you're the messenger, and sometimes you're the message. Man, I'm punching the devil this morning. I'm hitting the devil this morning. Sometimes you talk about it, sometimes you just be about it. Sometimes you just walk in, and all you have to do is walk in, and people know that God is real because they know where you came from, baby. See, the truth is, you don't even know <laughs> the people in this room that have had great setbacks and survived. Oh, Jesus. They made it to hell and back. They, they went to hell, but they made it back. They got betrayed, but they made it back. They were suicidal, but they made it back. They were addicted, but they made it back. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You're like me, you've been to hell and back. That's why you can't be too hard on folk if they get a little bit radical with their praise. That, that's why you can't be too judgmental if folks break down and weep and cry. You can't be too judgmental, too judgmental if they start shouting and rejoicing. See, your praise is a little different after you've been to hell and back. I said your praise is a little different after you've been to hell and back. I said your praise is a little different. It's a little louder. It's a little more rowdy. It's a little more heartfelt. It's a little more weepy. It's a uh... Tell your neighbor, say neighbor, go ahead on. Give God a praise right now. I dare somebody give him a hell and back praise. If you come back from anything, give him a shout right now. That's why you can't look down your nose at a sister giving God praise right now. That's why you can't look down your nose at a brother giving God glory right now. If you'd have been in the hell they've been in and you made it back, you would be giving God a crazy praise soon. finish preaching but tell your neighbor say neighbor I'm sorry if I aggravate you but this isn't a to hell and back praise somebody give him to hell and back this is not to hell and back praise 
I was going to try to behave myself, but I mess around and remember my own story. <laughs> Glory be to God. So here's the truth. Even, here's what I learned. Even if you're in hell right now, because of Jesus, you can make it back and it's not over. So Jesus made it to the cross and back. Jesus made it to hell and back. But watch this. Jesus made it to the grave and back. Somebody say, come on, Jesus. <laughs> come on, Jesus. See, there's no question that Jesus was dead, y'all. He wasn't sick. He was dead, dead. You don't get any sicker than dead. He was laid in the grave. He died on Friday, but it was only Friday. He shouted, it is finished. And the Bible said that he gave up the ghost. Come on now, in John 19, he said, it is finished. Now, now listen, there are some of you here today, and you have erroneously just assumed that when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, it is finished, I have lost. The devil won. But can I tell you something? The devil never made God cry uncle. Jesus never tapped out. Can I find somebody? Heaven never threw in the towel. Because all the way back at the fall of man, there was a promise that a redeemer would come. And the prophetic word to the devil was this. One is coming that will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now y'all know that a bruised heel might hurt, but a bruised head is fatal. I was reading a doctor's report, and the doctor said after all the hours that Jesus spent on the cross, that he would have had to push himself up by his heel. They would have placed his feet in such a fashion that all those hours, to, in order to breathe, he had to push himself up by his heel. And the doctor's report that I read said that by the time they took Jesus off the cross, that his heel was horrifically bruised. Some of y'all think that Jesus was losing, but in reality, every moment that he hung on that cross, he had that devil's head underneath his foot, and he was taking authority and bruising the devil's head I've come to tell you, Jesus didn't say, it is finished, I have lost. Jesus said, it is finished, I have won. I have made a way for man to be restored back to the Father. It is finished. What about his burial? Jesus was buried alone. In John 19, Pilate had written over the head of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and the Pharisees came to Pilate and said, hey, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't say that. Put something else. Put he said he who was king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And it was so prophetic because in essence what was happening there was the reality that whether they liked it or not, Jesus was king. 
And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people that don't like the fact that Jesus is king. They don't like the fact that Jesus reigns. They don't, they don't like the fact that we still call him king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He is the rey de rey. He is the lord of lords. They don't like the fact that we call him king. But I got to tell you today, it doesn't matter who doesn't like it. It doesn't matter who rejects it. It doesn't matter what they say about it. Jesus is the king, y'all. The king of all kings. Jesus died, and every time before a king died in the Bible, they were to be buried in the sepulcher of their father 66 different times. There were special grounds in 2 Chronicles for kings to be buried, but Jesus couldn't be buried in the grave of his father. He was buried alone in a, in a borrowed tomb. Why? Why couldn't he be buried in the grave of his father? Because his father was not dead. Can you track with me? I said, I said, God's not dead. He's not even sick. As a matter of fact, Jesus owned no grave plot. It would have been a waste of money. You can drive by cemeteries all over the world. You'll see the name Rayleigh etched in granite. You'll see the name, you'll see the name Jones etched in granite. You'll see the name Smith etched in granite. But drive by all these cemeteries, you'll never see the name G-O-D etched in granite. You know why? Because nobody in God's family has ever died and stayed dead. It is a family trait. I said it is a family trait. Psalms 121 says, He that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't slumber or sleep. Not only does he not die, y'all, he doesn't even sleep. That means when you come through the storms of life and you cry out to God, uh, you'll never catch him napping. He'll never be yawning. He'll never be about to doze off, baby. You'll never find him slumbering, but he will be totally awake, totally alive, and totally aware of what you're facing. He stays awake so you can sleep. Jesus was buried alone because his father had no tomb. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Come on now. There's some things you don't borrow. You don't borrow anybody's tomb, and you don't borrow anybody's toothbrush. You want to get on my nerves? Use my toothbrush. That has bothered me my whole life. That's just nasty. I'd rather use my finger than use a toothbrush somebody else used. My sister knew how bad I hated it. And she would, she knew I, I hated it. I, I did it just, it was my button. And she would come into the bathroom and wet my toothbrush and not use it just to make me think she had used it. Y'all don't know I've been to hell and back. Come on, somebody. You don't borrow, you don't borrow somebody's tomb because death is final. We perceive death as all that there is. We could not imagine, can I borrow your casket? Can I borrow your tomb? We think of that in a final way. But Jesus didn't really need the tomb for himself. What have you done, Joseph? You gave your tomb away. No big deal. Just kind of a weekend thing. <laughs> on the third day, Jesus kicked the end out of that tomb. Come on, somebody. Jesus didn't need the tomb. He got in the tomb, and he did work in that tomb for you and me. After all those hours of being beaten and tortured with blood streaming down his precious body, we need to understand it was not a pretty sight. 
Isaiah said he's despised and rejected. In other words, Isaiah said if you saw him, you would reject him. He became ugly for the ugliness of our sin. Jesus comes to the end of the ordeal and they take his body that is bruised and beaten and bloody and dead and place it in a borrowed tomb. Jesus did this, y'all, to show you and me to make us aware of the ugliness of sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, he who knew no sin became sin for us on that cross that we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is the gospel in essence right here. Jesus was unaffected by sin, unblemished, untouched, but he became sin for us. That's love, everybody. I said, that's love. He didn't need the cross, we did. He didn't need the tomb, we did. He wasn't a martyr, he wasn't murdered. They couldn't have taken what he gave freely away. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross, it was love. He could have called down angelic warriors from heaven, causing people to believe, and they would have become believers right then and there, but if he had done that, he wouldn't have finished what he started, and you and I would not know grace today. So I stand before you and I thank God that he stayed on the cross. I thank God that he finished it. Sin did this to Christ. Jesus was put in that borrowed tomb to show us the value that he puts on our lives. Sin is vicious, y'all. Sin is vicious, but your life is valuable. Jesus was showing every person in this place today you matter. That undying, unyielding, unstoppable, relentless love of Jesus that would give all that he had for you and me. He took your sin to the cross. He took your sin to the cross, your shame to the cross. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to hell and he showed us through this sin is vicious but we are valuable and he bought us the victory I've often wondered exactly what happened when he descended into hell I don't know for sure but one thing I do know when he came out of the tomb he paved the way so that everything I have ever done Every sin you and I have ever been committed could be washed away. Every sin you will ever do, as long as Jesus tarries, there's the opportunity for that sin to be forgiven for your children, for your grandchildren, for the lowest, darkest, deepest sinner. There is redemption through the blood in the name of Jesus Christ. Every debt I owe to the devil has been stamped, paid in full. Jesus shows us through that borrowed tomb that there is victory for our souls. His temporary time in the tomb did something eternal, eternal and everlasting for you and me. Hear me, Jesus went to the grave and back and there's nothing in this room so dead, y'all. You may be here today and you say, my marriage is dead, my life is dead, my situation is dead, my relationships are dead, but that tomb testifies that there's nothing so dead but what God can't raise it. There's nothing so sick but what God can't heal it. There's nothing so bound but what God can't deliver it. My God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. And I've come to tell you today across this room, I've come to tell every person in this place and those watching by live stream, I've come to tell you it's not over. Don't settle in your setback, it's not over. The Bible says that 
when Jesus rose from the dead, they would have placed him, they anointed his body with a hundred pounds of spices. They, 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 they embalmed him and he would have been like in a cocoon. So it would have been that what he was laying in would have had substance to it. So he set up supernaturally out of that cocoon, glory to God, and stepped off that grave. And then the Bible said that he folded the napkin. They put a shroud over his face and he folded that. Ain't Jesus neat? He folded it, but if you study what that means in Hebrew culture, when somebody comes to your house to eat, whenever they finish eating, if they just throw the napkin down, they're just telling you, I probably won't come back because I didn't have a good time. I didn't enjoy myself. I, I, you probably can't count on me coming back. But if they take a minute and they, and, they, and they fold it, oh Jesus, if they fold it, what they are saying to another Jew, the custom is, I enjoyed myself. I accomplished something here and I'm planning on coming back. Hallelujah. See, I've come to tell you, Jesus went to the cross and back. He went to the grave and back. He went to hell and back. And then the Bible said he ascended into heaven. But sometime real, real soon, tell your neighbor he's coming back. I need to hear from somebody that believes he's coming back. Acts 1.11, at his ascension, men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing? This same Jesus that was taken up from you into heaven will in like manner return. Jesus is coming back again. Let me hear you bring up a roar if you believe he's coming back again. The Bible says, in 1 Thessalonians, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The Lord himself, don't miss it. When you study the Old Testament, he would send a prophet, he would send an angel, he would send a representative, but Jesus said that day is so special, I ain't sending anybody. That day, I'm coming back myself. If you believe he's coming back himself, give him a shout right now. Have you ever seen a king introduce it said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. You know, when they're gonna announce a king, what they do, They'll step out and they'll say, dun da 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 And they'll say, introducing King Henry, the 22nd, whoever that is. Come on, y'all. But let me tell you on that day, an angel is going to step out on a cloud. There'll be a trumpet blast. dun da da and that angel will say, introducing Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lily of the Valley, 
the captain of the host. He do wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is Jesus. Somebody give Jesus a praise. The Bible says, oh Lord, I feel like preaching now. I know it's Sunday morning and it's Easter Sunday and I ought to behave myself. But you came on the wrong day with the wrong man if you want a cute little message. You'll hear it. The Bible says that we who are alive and remain, bring it up shall be caught up together. Hallelujah. The word caught up is the Greek word harpazoed. It means snatched away suddenly. That means you're going to go up faster than you can blink an eye, faster than you can think a thought, faster than one minute you're here, the next minute you're extraterrestrial. Like being Popeyes, sitting there eating my chicken and my dirty rice, y'all ain't saying nothing, and my biscuit, and I'll hear dong da dong, da 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 and for the first time, I'll let that chicken go, cause I'm gonna know that I'm headed to a better meal, I'm headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, some of y'all gonna be headed out to your mailbox. Open up your mailbox, and you pull out that big fat water bills, and you hear dong da dong, da 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 da, and all of a sudden a smile comes on your face, and you get happy because you know that's one set of bills you ain't gonna ever have to pay. Some of y'all gonna be in the shower. Y'all don't tell me somebody ain't gonna be in the shower when the trumpet blasts. You'll hear dong da dong, da 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 and you'll be like, hold up, Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. Well, hold up one minute. My robe's right here, Lord. Jesus. Hold up, Jesus. Can you just listen, but baby, I wouldn't worry about it because somewhere in between heaven and earth, you're going to get a brand new body anyway. So who cares? I'm trying to tell you he's coming back. Jump on your feet and give God a shout if you believe he's coming back. If you believe he's coming back, clap your hands. Give him praise. Give him praise, 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 give him praise. My God specializes in comebacks. He went to the cross and back to hell and 
back to the grave and back. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back. Stand across the room. That day will culminate the greatest comeback ever. That's the day we're preaching for. That's the day we're praying for. That's why I'm tired, y'all, but I'm going to go to Palm Coast tonight. Yes, sir. Because I've got a gospel that gives people a comeback. You know, here's the deal though, when he comes back, it's real important that you're ready. Someone here today, maybe you need a comeback. I preached all this for you. You know, as I've, getting, as I've gotten older in the ministry, people call me by all kind of titles. They'll call me pastor. They'll call me prophet. I mean, that's just the, the, the world I live in. They'll call you apostle. Call you bishop. A lot of people call me doctor. I'm not even an RN. Come on, somebody. How you going to call me doctor? <laughs> Let me tell you what I am. I'm a messenger best day and all these years later I still love it y'all because I'm a messenger to the messed up because I've been messed up I'm not a dope dealer I'm a hope dealer Hi, this is Jessica McCoy with Calvary Christian Center. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to be everything God has created you to be. We hope you enjoyed this message.